has the best life for us, and it's important for us to remember that. Today, from Luke's account of the birth of Jesus Christ, we'll learn some principles that will guide us in getting God's best. This message is the third in the series, The Best Christmas. The message is entitled, Getting God's Best. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Well, how many of you are ready for Christmas? It's coming, ready or not, just a matter of a few days, it's going to be here. We're going to continue today in our series called The Best Christmas. I want to talk to you this weekend about getting the best out of Christmas this year. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2. If you'd like to go ahead and turn there, Luke chapter 2 is again we talk about getting the best in this Christmas season. Over the series, we've been talking about four very important words. I've been laying them out to you each weekend as we get started in the series. And the words are bad, good, better, and best. Would you say them with me? Bad, good, better, best. Once again, bad, good, better, best. In fact, it would be good to write those words down on your notes if you haven't done so as a part of this series, thinking about those four terms, bad, good, better, best. Every decision that you make in life will fit into one of those categories. See, not cate- decisions aren't just bad or good. Decisions can be bad, good, better, or best. All of us can look back on life and say, I made some bad decisions. There are probably some that you can easily recall when you think about your past experiences in life. You've made some bad decisions. We all have. Some decisions are good, but you think about them and say, you say something like this, I could have done better. could have done better. And then you look back on other decisions and you say, no, that was one of the best decisions I ever made. And to improve the quality of your life, what you have to do is improve the quality of your decisions. If you make better decisions, you'll have a better life. This is something I try to help people understand all the time and working with them in a discipleship way to say, you know, the greatest thing you can do in your life is to learn how to make better decisions, to get a filter through what's in a process through which you make decisions in life because if you make better decisions, what kind of life will you have? A better life, exactly. And so in this Christmas story, we're taking a look at some folks that had to make some decisions when Jesus came. We talked the first weekend about Mary and when the angel Gabriel came to her and told Mary that, that, that the, the plan of God was that she was to be the bearer of the Christ child. Mary had to make a decision. What am I going to do? Okay? And she made the best decision. We talked about Joseph last weekend when Joseph was confronted with the whole idea of Mary's pregnancy and being from God. And he had to then make a decision what he would do with Mary. And he made the right decision. He was a good man. Made the right decision in his life. I want to draw your attention today to another group of folks, actually Mary and Joseph, along with the shepherds, as we take a look at some decisions they had to make at the coming of Christ. I want to read a very important part of the Christmas story to you. It's found in Luke chapter 2. I'll begin in verse number 1. You're familiar with this, I'm sure. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. 
But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Would you read that phrase with me? I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Once again, if you don't mind, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those whom, with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks. Notice that phrase. They went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. These verses describe this wonderful evening when Jesus Christ was born, when God sent His Son into the world. I don't have time this morning to talk about the beauty of the Advent, the fact that God loved us so much that He sent this great gift, His Son, Jesus Christ, into our world so that we could be redeemed. It's the whole story of redemption. It goes all the way back to the book of Genesis when God promised that He would send a Savior to redeem mankind from, from sin when Adam and Eve fell. God said, here's my promise. I'll send a seed, the seed of a woman, that will bring salvation and deliverance to the world. And this is the fulfillment of that promise that God had given so many, many years earlier. But that night in Bethlehem, this amazing event happened. And at that event, obviously, were Mary and Joseph, but also some other folks that showed up, some people that made some decisions about how they were going to handle the circumstance, how they would handle an angelic visit, how they would handle all the surroundings of what transpired with the coming of God's Son into the world. I want to share with you today four lessons that we can learn that allow us to get ready for God's best, because these people... Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds experienced God's best that night, didn't they? They were right where they needed to be doing what they needed to be doing, correct? They were right where they needed to be doing exactly what they needed to be doing, and they got the best. So how can we have that same thing in our life? How can we make sure that we get the best? So we're always at the right place doing the right thing in the right moment. How does that happen in our lives? The first thing that is important that you and I must come to a conviction about and have nailed down deep in our spirit is this. We must believe that God wants to give us His best. I want to tell you this morning that God has a desire to give to you His very best. Jesus said it this way. He said, I, the, the enemy, the thief, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come, Jesus said, that you might have life and have it abundantly or have it to the full. That's the promise that God has for you and me. And I think we would all agree that the story of Jesus' birth, it's all about God giving us His best, isn't it? But in your unique life, your personal life, God has a best for you. In fact, would you say with me, God has a best for me. Say it together. God has a best for me. Come on, say it with some conviction. God has a best for me. For me. 
Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 32, verse 8. He's actually prophetically speaking on behalf of the Lord. He says, the Lord says. In other words, this is a prophetic statement from God. This is God's word to us. The Lord says, I will guide you along the, what kind of pathway? The best. Not just good or better, but the best pathway for your life, I will advise you and watch over you. That's an amazing verse of Scripture. It reminds us that God has a best for our life. The word best means that it excels above all others. The concept of being best, it's, it's the most productive. It is the most advantageous. It's the most appropriate. It's the most useful. It's the most helpful. God has the most advantageous, useful, helpful pathway for your life. And the pathway for your life that's the best one is, is worth finding. It's worth walking on. God has it for us. Now, here's our problem. Although God has the best pathway for us, the problem that we tend to have as human beings is we have the tendency to disqualify ourselves from God's best. What I mean by that is this. It's easy for me to think, easier for me to think that God has something great for you, but I'm not so sure about me. It's easy for me to think, you know, God has the best for this person or that person, but, but I'm not sure about myself because here's the issue. I know me. Anybody know you? And when you know you, you know everything about you and all the ugly things about you, all the things that you realize where you've messed up and you've broken the, the pathway with God. You've had all kinds of things that you've done in your life that per perhaps cause you to feel as though you have now sort of disqualified you from the best. God might have some good things for you, but you're not sure that you can ever find His best. And here's that problem. We disqualify ourselves. And what I want to help you to do today is to realize you don't need to do that anymore because you don't have to qualify yourself for God's blessings. Jesus does that for you. He is your qualifier. That's another message for another day, but the fact is that Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins and rose again victoriously from the grave so that when we put our faith in Him, he, he gives to us the gift of righteousness that qualifies us for all the blessing of God in our life. Isn't that great to know? And so I want to break this tendency that we all have to think, well, God's got good things, great things, best things for other people, but not for me. Yes, He does. He has the best for you. And so I want to remove some baggage from you today. Don't we all have baggage, right? Don't we? Oh, come on. You've got baggage. Yes. Turn to your neighbor and say, you've got some too. Go ahead and tell them you've got some too. Okay. You've got some baggage. Okay. And I want to help you today to get rid of some baggage. In fact, by the end of today's message, I hope you'll leave all your bags on the floor. The ushers are coming through. After you leave, they're going to clean them all out. Okay. Leave your bags here today, all right? All that bad baggage. We're going to leave it behind today. I want to help you to leave it at the foot of the cross today, to give it to Jesus. Let me remind you, first of all, that your past failures don't disqualify you from the best now. Isn't that good to know? Your past failures don't disqualify you from the best now. Let me take you to Corinth with me. Would you all like to travel to Corinth today? Let's travel to Corinth for a moment. Let's see what the Apostle Paul wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to the Corinthian believers. Let's see if you can identify a bit with what he's writing here to them. He begins in verse number 9 with these words. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? 
Don't fool yourselves, those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of those or these will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, notice he's saying, let me tell you something, the sinful patterns of life will not get you God's best. That's what he's saying. It will not get you into the kingdom. It will not get you the best that God has for you. And so he lays out a number of sinful patterns that we all are very familiar with. And perhaps some of you, all of us at some level, have violated along the way. Now notice verse number, number 11. Very important here. Some of you were once like that. It's past tense. But read the rest with me. You were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Isn't it great to know that whatever your past has been, that when you come to Jesus Christ, no matter what might be the list of sins from your past, when you come and call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God, that something happens that is transformational inside of you. You are cleansed, you are made holy, and you are made right with God, and none of that stuff of what you used to be can disqualify you from the great thing God has for you now. Some of you used to be like that, but the good news is you used to be like that. You're a new creation in Christ. Something has happened when you come to faith in Jesus. There's a born-again experience that transpires, and that is what, yes, you used to be, but folks, it is not who you are now. You're different. You're a new creation in Jesus Christ. And the more that you identify with the fact that you are a new creation, the more you'll act like one. When you come to faith in Christ. Now, the second thing that will not disqualify you from God's best is your present weaknesses. We all have those, don't we? Well, we've got some past failures, but we also have some present weaknesses. Do you ever stop for a moment and look at your life and say, I just feel so weak. I'm just so weak. I feel weak in this area. Maybe it's a, a moral weakness that you feel like you have or a personality weakness that you feel like you have or something that's weak in your life that you wish was stronger. Let me just stop for a moment and ask everybody to participate with me. Does anyone here today say there's something in my life that I feel like I, I, my, my desire, I wish I was stronger in that area. Raise your hand. I wish I was stronger in that area. Okay, good. I want to tell you, those weaknesses don't keep you from the best if you do the right thing with them. That's the important thing. If you do the right thing with those weaknesses, you can overcome them. Notice now verse, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Read this one with me. Paul is struggling with some, some stuff going on in his own life, some battering of the adversary against him. And here is what God says. Each time he said, God said, My grace is all you need. My power works best in what? In weakness, so now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Paul said, I learned a lesson. I learned actually that my weaknesses don't disqualify me from God's best. But if I do the right thing with my weaknesses, if I bring my weaknesses to Christ and I acknowledge my weakness and I ask Him for grace and strength, I've learned actually that my weakness is the pathway to His power working in me. And so, dear ones, understand today, you, you have some weaknesses. We all do. But if you turn your weaknesses to God and you acknowledge them as you and I need to, then God says, I'm able to now take that weakness and transform it into strength. In fact, 
in many of our lives, your greatest weakness will often be as you turn to find and find grace in your area of greatest weakness can become one of the most powerful areas of ministry you'll ever have in your life. Number three, here's good news as well. Your background doesn't keep you from God's best. You have a past that doesn't keep you from God's best if you turn it to Christ. You have some weaknesses that will not keep you from God's best if you learn how to bring your weaknesses to Christ. And neither will your background. Everybody has a family, don't you? And some of our families might be very healthy and good. Others of us perhaps come from families that are somewhat dysfunctional or broken. We have a cultural heritage, whatever that might be in our life, that has positives and negatives related to it. And oftentimes we feel like whatever our heritage has been, that's going to keep me from being who I want to be in Christ. And, you know, I could be better if it were not for that family I grew up in, that heritage that I had. I could, I could be a better believer. I could do more of God's work. Dear ones here, this as well. Your heritage does not determine your destiny. Well, that was a great place to shout amen, but you missed it, okay? Your heritage does not determine your destiny because your heritage is what was handed to you, but God says, yeah, that was given to you, but you don't have to continue a bad legacy. You don't have to continue a bad heritage. You can take a heritage, a legacy that was negative, a legacy that did not acknowledge God or live for God, and that legacy, when you turn that heritage, when you turn it to God, can turn into an amazing destiny for God's glory. I want to show you the story of this in the Bible. And many stories I could take you to in the Bible that would reveal this, but let me take you to a young man, at least we think he was a young man, by the name of Jabez. You've probably heard his story before, but it's worth going back to quite frequently because it is an encouraging story. Jabez came from a highly dysfunctional family. His family didn't work. I'm going to show you how bad his family was in just a moment. He came from a family background, was ugly, bad. He was handed a horrible heritage. Let's see what he does with his horrible heritage. First Chronicles chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. Now stop there with me for a moment. What does that tell you about his brothers? What were they? If he's more honorable, what were they? Dishonorable, okay? So he had some bad brothers. I mean, this is a bad family. It gets worse here. And his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. Jabez was given a name by his mother, and that name Jabez literally in the Hebrew, mean, Hebrew language means, you are a pain. Now, how many of you like to come into the world, and your mother, when she sees you, says, from the get-go, I mean, before you say your first wah, her response says, Jabez, you're a pain. And he lived his whole life with a bunch of dishonorable brothers and a mother that always called him a pain. Not only did his mother call him a pain, but now everybody else does. He got a label linked to his life, didn't he? You ever had a label linked to your life? And so now he's living out his life with this label, I'm a pain i got this horrible heritage, this bad family. What am I going to do? Now, here's where you see his, his more honorable part. Notice what happens. Verse 10. Jabez called upon the God of Israel, saying, 
Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border and that your hand might be with me and that you would keep me from harm so that it might, might not bring me pain. And God granted what he asked. God granted his request. Let me show you what, what Jabez did. Jabez says, God, I came from a really bad family. My brothers are horrible. My mother doesn't even like me. I, I don't have much of a heritage. I don't have anything of a legacy that really would provide me the sense of a destiny. But God, I'm not going to look back at that legacy, that heritage. I'm looking to you for a new destiny. And God, I'm asking now that you would take me where I'm at and that you would bless me, that you would enlarge the territory of my life, that you would let your hand rest upon me. And God, I'm praying also that you will keep me from danger and keep me from pain and free me from this horrible label that's been attached to me all of my life. God, from this time forward, even though my name might stay the same, I know that my experience in life is going to be different because, God, I'm calling upon you to change my heritage my bad heritage into an amazing God-given destiny. And here is Jabez that says, you know what? I'm not going to let what has been in my background keep me from the future God has for me. Amen. Anybody saying amen to that this morning? It's not going to happen. See, Jabez did not, was not held back from the best because of this. Let me give you one more here. Your social status will not keep you from God's best. Listen closely to me today. It does not matter to God what your social status is. It does not matter to God. You might think it matters because of the world that we live in, and sometimes our world attaches social strata to us, and we fit in a certain category socially. We perceive ourselves in that way. But to God, God doesn't look at us that way. God looks at everyone. Listen to me. God looks at every person just the same. Man looks at the outward appearance. God always looks at the heart. We judge by outward appearance. God is not impressed or discouraged by outward appearance. It doesn't matter who you are, what you look like, how much money you make or how much money you don't make. When it comes to God, God doesn't care about any of that stuff. What God cares about is your heart relationship with Him. And here's the beautiful thing about the story of Christmas. And I need to bring you back to this again because it's so very valuable. At the Christmas story, everybody from every social strata was included in the Christmas story. There's Joseph and Mary who are young and have nothing. I'm going to show you how much nothing they had. They didn't have nothing, they had nothing to prepare their way. God had to send wise men from Persia to bring him some gold just to have some money to get through the early years bringing up Jesus. Now, does that, I mean, have you like to have some kings on the way to your house, right? Okay. <laughs> That's God taking care of. So Mary and Joseph, they're young, they don't have anything. And when God gave this great announcement of Jesus' birth in the world, who who were the first folks to receive the announcement? Who were the first folks that got the first birth announcement of Jesus coming into our world? Who? The shepherds. They're at the lowest level of the social society. These are the guys that are out there working, sweating. They're dirty. I mean, if you hang out with sheep, listen, you smell like sheep. 
If you hang out with sheep, you're not very well respected. You don't have what we would consider to be a high-class job if you're a shepherd. But guess what? When God said, you know what? My son is coming to the world. I need to tell somebody. Who am I going to tell? Let's see. Let's find all the kings of the world. I'll, I'll send angels to all the kings of the world. No, he says, I'm going to tell the first folks I'm going to tell. I'm going to tell a bunch of shepherds in Judea, in Bethlehem. I'm going to tell them about the fact that Messiah has been born. There's another whole story message related to that because they were caring for the sheep that were going to be taken up to the temple for sacrifice. And what was happening was God was saying, I've sent my lamb into the world that will take away the sins of the world. So he announced to the lowliest level, the lowliest level, he said, I want you to understand Christ has been born, and it's good news for some people. No, it's good news for all people. And while these these lower class, if you will, from a social perspective standpoint, were receiving the birth announcement, thousands of miles away, at least hundreds of miles away in Persia, God is setting up in the heavens what a star And there are three of the upper crust of society seeing a star that draw them eventually down into Jerusalem and to Bethlehem as well. Are you seeing that from the lowest to the highest, the highest, the lowest, from the youngest, Joseph and Mary, by the way, to the oldest, because there's there's some senior citizens in the Christmas story. Did you know that? Eight days after the birth of Jesus, when they take him into the temple, there's some folks there that have been around for a while. Simeon and Anna, and they celebrate as well. So there's not, I love this, there's not a single part of humanity that is not covered in the Christmas story. I think that ought to be a hallelujah right there. That, that, means, that means you can be included as well, right? So stop disqualifying yourself. Your past failures, no, if you come to Jesus, they don't disqualify you. Your present weaknesses, if you turn them over to Jesus, they don't disqualify you. Oh, your heritage? No, no, no. Your heritage, if you bring them to God, your heritage, even though it may be bad, can be turned into an amazing destiny. And your social strata, whatever it might be, from the lowest to the highest, can't keep you from God's best in your life. Stop disqualifying yourself. Turn to somebody else around you now and remind them, don't disqualify yourself from the best. Don't do it. Don't disqualify yourself. Here's our second point. I got to preach these next three points very fast, all right? You need to prepare for God's best. I want to make this fairly simple. If you expect something, if you truly expect something, what will you do? Somebody got the answer. You will. Prayer for it. You'll watch for it. You'll prepare for it, right? When you heard that it was going to rain today, you thought, well, I'll need to get my umbrella. Because the expectation, that's why you watch the weather report. Because you want to know what to expect with the weather so that you can prepare for it, right? What clothes am I going to wear? Well, I'm going to need this. If somebody is coming to your house to visit you, what will you do? Shove all the stuff under the bed. That's what you do, okay? That's exactly what you do, okay? It's called preparation, right? 
So the reality is when you expect, when you truly expect something, the natural result of expectation is preparation. That's why if you're not preparing for stuff in your life, it tells me you don't expect anything in your life. If you really expect the best, let me tell you what you'll be doing. You'll be preparing for the best. You don't just sort of wait until it comes upon you. Young people today, if you expect God to give you your best, you ought to prepare yourself to the best of your ability right now with that expectation. Get the best education you can get. Learn the best thing you can learn about your character. Start building the best friends in your life right now. Why? Because what are you doing? You're saying, I believe there's a destiny for my life. And so if there's a destiny for my life, I'm going to get ready for it. Now, see, if, you, if the great thing in your life were to show up, would you be ready for it? Most of us aren't even ready for it. But let me tell you about the Christmas story. They prepared. I'm not going to read it to you again. But every part of this story shows people responding. See, they had a part to play. When, when, God, uh, when, when Mary and Joseph uh, heard the news of the census being taken and God had spoken to them about bearing, being the bearers of the Christ child, they, they had to participate by moving from Nazareth, going down into Bethlehem temporarily because of that census being taken there for that moment. They had to respond. They had to cooperate with God. They had to cooperate with the situation because the Bethlehem was the city where the Savior had been promised to be born, going all the way back to the prophet Micah. And there are all these actions that people take in preparation for the coming of Messiah. What I want you to see today is that the best for your life is not just going to show up one day. Start getting ready for it when? Now. Don't just expect it to show up. Start getting ready for it now. Stay connected to God. Learn everything you can learn about God. Get as much wisdom as you possibly can get in your life. Do all the things that are necessary to get you ready. Number three. The third thing is understand that God's best is an internal condition, not an external environment. That's a mouthful, but let me say it again. Listen closely. Very, very important. God's best is an internal condition, not an external environment. When you and I think of best, let me, let, me, let me say it this way. If we were to ask the average person, to, we gave them a sheet of paper and say, write down for us what you think your best life would look like. Generally speaking, especially with people that don't have a relationship with God, or certainly it's not the priority of their life, that piece of paper would come back looking something like this. Well, I really want to get this promotion, or I feel like my life would really be the best life if I had this job, and if I could live in this place, and I have this kind of house, and drive this kind of car, and go on these kind of vacations, then that would really be my best life. If I had these relationships, and these networks, and so forth and so on, then my life would really be the best it could be if all those details were filled out. Well, guess what? That is not at all the way God defines your best life. Your best life is defined by God as something internal, not external. It's what happens on the inside of you. That's why when Jesus came, He came bringing good news of great joy to all people. Notice, good news that brings great what? Joy. Where's joy experienced? Inside you, okay? 
And he goes on to say, peace on earth to all mankind. So again, it's joy, it's peace. You get a Christmas card nowadays, often you'll see it says joy and peace and those kind of words. See, these are not things that come from things. These are things that come as a part of an internal experience with God. And so you must understand that your best life has very little to do with where you are and what you're doing and what you have. It has everything to do with your relationship with the God who created you. That's where best happens. It's living in joy and living in peace. Think about it for a moment. Here is the Son of God coming into the world. The Son of God coming. He's, he's, the crea- he's, a, he's a part of the triune God that created this world. He's coming down to live among us. And as He comes down, as God sends His Son into the world, where is Jesus born? in a little village called Bethlehem. I mean, this was a little hick town. This is not like a major metropolitan city. Yes, it's outside of Jerusalem. It's a little bitty hick town. It's a small area. It's not some big, gigantic place when Jesus comes. In fact, He comes to this place called Bethlehem. And where is He born? I mean, there's not even room for Him in an inn. There's not even room. There's not a hotel room available for Jesus. He's born in a barn. He's born in a, in a, in a stall where there are animals all around. And when the, when the child is given, when Mary gives birth to the child, where do they lay Him? Think about it, moms. Would you like to take your newborn child and lay them in straw? You wouldn't want to do that, but this is all Mary and Joseph had. Think about this. God says, I want you to understand, it's not about your external surroundings. It's not about what you have externally. I can bring my son into the world who is the prince of peace and the king of joy and the one that transforms lives. I can bring him into the world. I can put him in a manger, and it doesn't change his nature. I can put him right where... Everybody would say, that's a horrible place to be born, but it doesn't change a single thing about his character, doesn't change a single thing about his nature, because it's not about his externals, it's all about who he is on the inside, he's the Son of God. And dear ones, understand something, when Jesus really gets working in you, it's not going to matter a whole lot what your externals look like, what matters is Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Prince of peace is in you, and if Christ be in you, the hope of glory resides in you. Yes, your externals are not going to always look like you want them to be. Let me tell you something. It doesn't mean you can't have joy and can't have peace in the midst of it. So understand that this whole idea of the best is not linked to what you have. The position you rise to, the car you drive, the house you live in, nothing wrong with any of those things. But your best life is not linked with that. Your best life is linked with what goes on internally in your relationship with God. Joy and peace and love and all the fruit of the Spirit. Let me go to my last point as we're wrapping up. Last thing today. If you and I want to get God's best, we need to become a part of God's mission force right where we are. I love this part of the story. I've got about a minute and 15 seconds to tell you about it. After the, the, the shepherds came to Bethlehem, after the angelic visitation, they traveled to Bethlehem. And they see the Christ child. They worship the Christ child. We all know the nativity scene. that We picture that. That transpired. What did the shepherds do? 
after they've had this amazing experience. Angels have talked to them. Angels have serenaded them. They've gone and seen the Christ child. What did they do next? Did they call up a publisher and say, man, do we have a book deal for you? Wow. This is going to be a bestseller. They call all the news agencies, CNN, everybody. Hey, guys, come on. You guys got to see this. No. The Bible says that the shepherds, this is amazing to me. It's incredible. But the shepherds left that nativity scene, and they went right back to where they were before. Isn't that amazing? They didn't go on a world tour. They didn't sign up with some agent and said, hey, we're, we're God. Talk to us. Angels. No, they went right back to what they were doing before, but they were not the same men as they were before. You got it? They did the same thing they did before, but they were different on the inside. The Bible says they went back glorifying and praising God, a part of God's mission force in the earth. They were changed and they were transformed. Listen, folks, never think Never ever think that what you do day in and day out is not important to God. If God sent the shepherds back to shepherd, then don't ever underestimate what you do in your life, in your world, because He wanted them to be the shepherds, shepherding with a new mindset. He wanted them to be a part of His mission force in the earth. I'm going to wrap it up with these words for you today. Christmas and getting God's best is always about being faithful where you are. Doing what God has asked you to do in the moment. And taking what God is doing in you and sharing that with the people around you first and foremost. If you can't share it with the people around you, don't think that you're going to have some massive influence somewhere else. I have people come to me, oh, pastor, I think I'm supposed to go to the mission field. Okay. How many people did you lead to Jesus in your neighborhood last year? Uh, none. Okay, and you want to go to the mission field? What do you think? Somehow you're going to get over across the sea somewhere and you're just going to suddenly become a different person? Okay. No. If you can't win somebody to Jesus right where you are right now, if you're not serving Jesus where you are, don't expect. See, anytime you move somewhere else, the problem is you take you with you. That's it. Okay. That's the reality. Okay. And so God sent them right back to the same job he had for them before, but they were different. They had a message to share. And I'm going to wrap it up with these words. You have a message to share, don't you? See, God has done something incredible in your life by, by you knowing Jesus in a personal way. Who, who are the folks in your world? Who, who are the folks in your shepherd world? Your family, your friends, the people that you work with, your neighborhood. When was the last time you shared some of that good news with the people around you? Realize that your purpose in the earth is not about you. It's about God's mission in our world. Amen? Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for reminding us that in this Christmas season, there's a best that you have for us. And Lord, we don't want to disqualify ourselves. We want to allow you to qualify us through your grace. It's not us that qualifies ourselves, but by grace you qualify us. And I pray, Lord, for any baggage that's been holding us back from believing that, that today we would let go of that and put it aside. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help us today to realize, Lord, that, that in the midst of this best, there's some preparation things that we need to be doing. There's some attention points we need to bring to the forefront of our lives now and help us to do that, God.
Help us to realize that it's not about the external environments, but it's about the internal conditions of our heart. Lord, make that real to us on the inside. And help us to take all of this and to be like the shepherds and to just go back doing what we do, but to do it as different people, people who glorify and praise you, people who are part of your mission force in the world. Seal this word in our heart by the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Hi, I'm Pastor Dale O'Shields. I want to thank you for listening to our broadcast of Practical Living. I trust it was a blessing to you, and I trust that you're growing in your spiritual journey. Or perhaps you've never even started your spiritual journey, and today this is your opportunity to make a decision to move forward, getting to know Jesus Christ, letting Him have control of your life. See, the Bible says of Jesus that He stands at the door and knocks, and if anyone will hear His voice, you can open that door and let Him in. If you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, today is the day that you need to do it. In fact, I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. If you'll pray this prayer sincerely with all your heart, mean it with all your heart, Jesus Christ will come into your life. Repeat this prayer after me. Say these words. Say, Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I'm sorry for all the things I've done wrong in my life. I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior of the world, that you died for me and rose again. Just simply tell Jesus, I believe in you. Now open up your heart and say, Jesus, come into my life. By faith, I receive you as my Savior, my Lord, in Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me just then, sincerely, I want you to know something. Jesus heard it, and He saved you. You're a new creation in Christ. You get a brand new start in your journey with God. But now you have to grow. You have to learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus every day. And so we want to help you get started. And we have some resources available on our website that will do so called New Beginnings. So check them out. And again, I want to thank you for being a part of today's broadcast. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings.